The Honorable, the Judges of the United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The United States Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit is now in session. All persons having business before this Honorable Court may now draw near and they will be heard. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. Would you proceed with the uh, docket call for this morning? Yes, Your Honor. Oral arguments for Tuesday, February the 15th, 2022. First case 21-2118 from the Eastern District of Missouri, State of Missouri versus Janet Yellen. Case number two, case number 21-2127 from the Western District of Arkansas, United States versus City of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Case number three, case number 21-2199 from the Western District of Missouri, Planet Sub Holdings versus State Auto Property and Casualty. All right. Uh, don't we have a third argument um, today? Or I'm sorry. In the fourth case, 21-2266 from the Western District of Missouri, Wagstaff and Cartmel versus Neil Lewis will be submitted on the briefs and record without oral argument. Uh, is the uh, Planet Subholdings case uh, still listed for argument this morning? Yes, Your Honor. It's number three. Okay. All right. I, I didn't hear that one. So I was just want to be clear for all present and for the, the panel as well. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Eighth Circuit and to our virtual forum for hearing uh, cases scheduled for argument. We've uh, become fairly adept at this process over the last uh, couple of years, and we continue to express our appreciation for counsel and their efforts to participate with us in, um, in this manner, uh, a manner which we hope will uh, uh, begin to decline in, in frequency. Uh, Mr. Sauer, on behalf of Missouri, please open your argument. Sorry, Your Honor. Michael Talon arguing on, uh, instead of John Sauer for the state of Missouri. Uh, good morning, and may it please the court. Uh, this is a case, there's a standing element to this case and the merits argument to this case. And normally, the two are separate issues. But in this case, the two are the same. And to, to see why, it's important to kind of understand how we got here, how this case came about. Now, as this court knows, the state of Missouri under ARPA received about $2.7 uh, billion of stimulus money. Now, Congress, a good steward of its money, put a condition on that fund. Congress said Missouri could not use that money to directly or indirectly offset a decrease in net tax revenue based on a change in the law. It's basically what the law says. It's a rough paraphrase. Now, Missouri wants to comply with the law. Missouri wants that money because if it doesn't comply with that condition, it loses some of those funds. So using traditional tools of statutory interpretation, plain text, statutory context, canons of interpretation, clear statement rules, the state determined that the plain meaning of it, directly or indirectly, only prohibits the state from deliberately and expressly using ARPA funds to pay for a tax cut. And it asked- Mr. Talent, Mr. Talent, I want to interrupt you early in the argument. The biggest problem I have with this case is because Congress put or indirectly. And then they gave, of course, the uh, uh, secretary here the power to uh, prescribe regulations. And my goodness, indirectly, uh, for lawyers and even for lay people, if you say indirectly. So I want you to be sure and focus on the word indirectly. Yes, Your Honor. And I'm happy to do that. The state 
would points out and cites it in his brief and cites it in the district court that directly or indirectly are adverse. And what the Supreme Court said in Central Bank of Denver, it's a very analogous kind of situation, is that as adverse, they only modify the prohibited conduct. And the prohibited conduct in the tax mandate is based on two verbs, offset and use. As the state pointed to the dictionary definitions of offset, that required the dictionary definitions of offset imply counterbalance. So it applies a deliberate use. The word use implies a volitional act. Both these things are deliberate. They're verbs of deliberance. They're verbs where they require a step, the state to make an explicit decision about something. And I think it's very important. And this gets back to the standing point, actually, Your Honor, is that the government agreed with that interpretation in the district court. It says now it doesn't agree with it, but in the district court, that use statement, that volitional use, was actually a point the government raised in the district court. And the definition of offset was something that the same dictionary definition, the government agreed with that in the district court. And that's where we get to standing. Yes, sir. Yes, Your Honor. This is Judge Smith. Is there anything at issue before this panel besides standing? Well, the merits, Your Honor. We think the state would point out that the merits are at issue. And this court can get to the merits. Now, this district court— But did the district court resolve a merits question? It did, Your Honor, because the state came to the district court and said, this is what the law means. The government came to the district court and said, we fundamentally agree with the state of Missouri. That's what they said in their brief. They reiterated it at oral. What you were seeking was a preliminary injunction, correct? Yes, Your Honor. And did the district court go through the data phase factors to evaluate the availability of that remedy? So it didn't. But the merits question—but this court can do it because it's all an issue of law, and we point that out in our brief. The two have overlapped because district court's decision below, the standing decision, is based on the fact that Missouri is correct on the statutory argument. Isn't our tendency and the better practice of what we've considered the better practice would be to, if we were to conclude there was standing, would be to send it back to the district court to resolve or to do an analysis of the merits initially? Well, that's a normal course of events. But what this court noted in, I believe, Carson v. Simon, it's cited in our brief, where the issue is one of a matter of law, and there would be no basic efficient—there would be very efficient for this court to reach the issue. This court can reach the issue in the first instance. And as I pointed out, as a matter of law, the district court's decision on the merits, basically, Missouri doesn't have standing, according to the district court, because it's correct on the merits. And the government said it was correct on the merits in the district court. And that's the first and only time that the government has indicated that believes Missouri's statutory reading is correct. So it's a stop in this court. We point that out in a brief. The government doesn't contest that. It's a stop from changing its position here. But the standing issue before this court is the same thing as a merits issue, because it's an active debate about the meaning of the offset provision of the tax mandate. And so it's a very typical—it's a prototypical type of declaratory judgment action, as the Supreme Court noted in Menomune, as this court's noted in numerous cases, including Alex Bailey, where the state is trying to comply with its legal obligations. There's an open debate about what those obligations are. And because it's trying to— Mr. Talent, what has—to your point about the state attempting to comply, as I read the materials, the state hasn't proposed any particular tax plan, tax cut that it wants to do. It hasn't alleged that it wants to use these rescue funds in any way that might be counter to the federal condition. So as I read it, it's just, well, they might—Missouri might want to cut taxes. 
why isn't this just sort of an advisory opinion that you're asking the court to give for some kind of undescribed future action? Well, at the time Missouri brought the suit, Judge Kelly, so Standy's measure at the time of the suit, at the time of the suit, the state legislature was actively considering tax cuts. So measured at that time, that certainty that what this court called in the Iowa League of Cities case, that sort of Damocles, which is its own harm, was hanging over the state of Missouri. And it currently is. All right. Let me let me dig a little deeper into that. You said considering tax cuts. That's a pretty broad statement, because I, I suppose almost any legislature could say I'm considering a number of things, whether or not they're proposed to the legislature or not. Don't we need something more to know actually what Missouri was considering to do so that we're not just speaking about this in the abstract and that we'd actually be considering a proposal and then the law as it applied to Missouri's proposal beyond just considering the general idea of tax cuts? So I think two points on this, because because part of the answer to this is actually the fact that Missouri as a regulated entity is going to have to stand up a compliance mechanism that complies with what the Treasury Department has said Missouri needs to do to comply with the tax mandate. So that's that if you want an ongoing, consistent, current, present day harm, it's a fact that Treasury has indicated it need there's a reporting mechanism that the state of Missouri is going to have to spend money and manpower on to build up so that it basically tells Treasury, well, here's what you want under the tax mandate. Here's what we're doing under the tax mandate. That's that reporting and compliance mechanism isn't consistent with the underlying law. So that's a present injury. As to kind of the, the tax cut point, what the League of, what Iowa League of Cities pointed out, what Metamune pointed out, what all these cases kind of, what the Declaratory Judgment Act honestly is, is for, Missouri is under an ongoing uh, requirement to perform under this, under the uh, condition Congress imposed on it. And so Missouri needs to know how to perform at any point in time. The General Assembly may pop in and consider a gas tax. I mean, just uh, or any point in time, the Administrative Hearing Commission, because change in law is broadly defined to include, I believe, what administrative changes in law could consider, could change its meaning of what a tax provision means. And then we may have an issue that may be a covered change. So Missouri needs certainty simply to, to basically run its fiscal and tax policy options. That's a sort of Damocles. At any point in time, if the Missouri General Assembly wants to come in session, for example, and cut the gas tax, which it passed last year, it needs to know that to give relief to the people well, in the state. Well, Mr. Talent, you brought it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. But Missouri passed the first gas tax they passed in forever, and it was a big tax. So, boy, that gives you a lot of room to cut taxes now, right? Uh, well, no, Your Honor, because the, the, the cut in taxes is measured off of baseline. So, measured off of baseline revenue. So, it's not the the measurement is going to be compared to to whatever that baseline is it's not going to be compared to next year's revenue no council go slowly with me it's compared to 2017 sure. when missouri's tax or tax gas tax was very low and as you know they passed a, a huge gas tax so boy that gets me back to the point you say standing is measured at the time of the lawsuit right yes sir okay that legislature's long gone they didn't pa pass a tax cut a huge one right uh that's correct your honor yeah, but, but at the time is very and popular. so now you're facing this year's uh, general assembly, and who knows what they'll do, right? But that's so a this, sort of this is this is uh, you're aware that so far they've only directed their attention to a couple of matters, uh, but uh, therefore isn't this way hypothetical and way advisory? Well, no, Your Honor, because it's about how Missouri is supposed. So, multiple points on that as to the the meaning of what the law is. What the Treasury Department said is, is, is that 
tax revenue revenue is measured off the 2019 baseline. So this is uh, this gets to why uh, the standing merits merge because we're dealing in the standings phase with, with we have to ask the question what does this law mean? That's what Missouri needs to know in order to perform under the contract, and that itself is its own harm. As to your point about general assemblies, uh, and that we are in a new general assembly. Each General Assembly operates under what's called this sort of damages. Each General Assembly doesn't know if it decides to consider a gas tax, what the fiscal implications of that, that, that tax are going to be. This is the issue in Metamune where, where the court noted that these never required, this court uh, for, you know, cited Metamune in the Lexus Bailey, courts don't require plaintiffs to bet the house on the violative action. And this also gets to other harm, concrete harms that the state pointed out in its brief. The state has a constitutional right to know what the terms of the conditions are that Congress puts on spending clause leg legislation. Well, the conditions here are what, there's a debate about those conditions. Congress puts certain conditions in the state's position and what the district court said is those are the conditions. Treasury is changing those conditions, changing a vested right Missouri has in those funds. Missouri has a constitution. Mr. Mr. Talent, what do, does it matter that Missouri has already accepted the funds? In other words, your argument there is that, well, hey, Missouri has a right to understand what the conditions are on this offer, presumably before we accept it. But it, as I understand it, Missouri's already accepted the offer. Does that matter? It, it actually makes standing strong because Missouri alleged at the time uh, of the complaint it was going to have to take this money, that it was coercive, that Missouri couldn't turn down the funds. So Missouri- But, was but why, can't, why can't Missouri turn down the funds? I mean, this is, Missouri has, a, as I understand it, Missouri has, a, has to have a balanced budget, right? So Missouri's gonna have a balanced budget regardless and presumably any reason that you need the money would be because it would be pandemic related. Is that fair? Well, that's what it's used for, Your Honor. But I think the point here is that Missouri alleged it was going to have to take the funds. It was going to be a regulated party. And as a regulated party, it's the object of government action. And as the object of government action, what the Supreme Court said in Luan, what this court has said numerous times, is that standing is normally not an issue. So Missouri was going well, to Mr. take- Mr. Tell, just, just before you move on real quickly, and I'll let you go on, but why is, does Missouri have to take this money? What is the coercion for, from this offer of new money. It's this gets to the NFIB point. This is about 13 to 14 percent of the state's general revenue fund. The state's taxpayers. But, but, but that but that case was uh, was taking it back. That was that was money that was already given. This is new money. So why why is the new money offer? Why is that coercive? The new because the Supreme Court indicated it's too too big to turn down. That's so you're, you're saying you can make a carrot big enough that it becomes a stick. Exactly, Your Honor. Exactly, Your Honor. And the, this is part of kind of the merits issue on the constitutional point, on the federalism point. The federal government has all these resources. They could, if the courts don't police line in the spending clause in the 10th Amendment, use their immense resources to basically pay off the states to do the policies that the government wants them to do. And right, and, and as to Judge Kelly, Judge Kelly, your initial point about the implication of the state taking the money, the state took the money based on the conditions Congress set not the conditions that Treasury sets, because Congress is the one under the spending clause who has to set those conditions. Under Pennhurst, those conditions are clear. This is kind of a basic contract dispute where the, the agent, the Congress, the contractor's agent is not enforcing the contract consistent with what the principal said the contract terms were gonna be. That, Mr. Talent, Mr. Talent, you're well within your rebuttal time uh, and have just a little over a minute left. I'd like to give you opportunity to reserve. Oh yes, I'm sorry, Your Honor. 
Thank you. All right. Thank you. Mr. Winnick. Good morning, Your Honor. May it please the court. Daniel Winnick for the federal government. Missouri brought this suit to seek a declaratory judgment about the meaning of the offset provision as between what it refers to as the broad and the narrow interpretations. The district court rightly dismissed the suit for lack of jurisdiction because the federal courts lack the power to provide advisory opinions about what a statute means outside the context of any concrete controversy over its application. That's certainly true of statutory conditions on the use of federal funds, the meaning of which has always been resolved in concrete disputes in cases like Arlington Central, which was a dispute over a fee award under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, uh, or this court's decision in Osseo Area Schools, which was an appeal for administrative proceedings under the same statute. Uh, and, and that basis for the lack of jurisdiction here is completely separate uh, from the merits. The absence of jurisdiction is doubly clear here because the only interpretation of the statute that Missouri claims would be unconstitutional, uh, the so-called broad interpretation under which it would entirely prevent states from cutting taxes if they accept fiscal recovery funds, is at odds with the plain text of the statute and every interpretation of it the government's ever offered. Uh, as the text makes clear, the provision prevents states only from using fis fiscal recovery funds to pay for a reduction in their net tax revenue caused by tax cuts. They're free Mr. to pay. Mr. Winnick, yes, sir. Uh, playing off Judge uh, Benton's question, if if Missouri were to uh, pass a tax reduction for their gas tax uh, and say that it was based on uh, uh, inflation or concerns for inflation due to rising uh, fuel prices, uh, would they uh, have some concern that that's an indirect way of being able to uh, reduce the tax burden on their people and use the federal government's relief funds to offset? So that tax cut or any other tax cut would not implicate the offset provision unless the state's actual tax revenue fell below the pre-pandemic baseline indexed for inflation. And, and there are many reasons to think that may not be the case, including one that Judge Benton noted, note, namely that you know they've, they've raised a bunch of revenue uh, through, through having increased the gas tax, uh, but also you know economic growth. Missouri, like most states, has seen economic growth before the pandemic. Uh, the numbers are not on the record, but I believe their, their tax revenue in the most recent fiscal year was considerably higher than the pre-pandemic baseline. And that gives them a lot of room to cut taxes uh, without uh, dropping their tax revenue below uh, the pre-pandemic baseline. Now, even if their tax revenue does drop below uh, the baseline, uh, they can still pay for a tax cut by cutting their own spending. The, the one thing they can't do is use these fiscal recovery funds to pay for the tax cut. And, and that's true, uh, you know, whether they do it directly in, in what they call their narrow interpretation, if they explicitly say, you know, we have this $2.7 so billion. Are you, are you saying that basically... Uh, the state can't modify its revenue uh, uh, without in some way having to give the federal government uh, back funds that uh, are a part of the ARPA? Not at all, Your Honor. So they can, they're free to cut taxes and pay for those tax cuts using their own money in several ways. One way is if through economic growth, they have enough additional tax revenue that they can afford uh, to reduce their taxes without reducing their spending and keep a balanced budget. Uh, another is if they increase other taxes. Uh, and the third is if they cut their own spending outside areas where they're spending fiscal recovery funds. The, the one thing they can't do is use these fiscal recovery funds to displace some of their own spending uh, and then take that savings of state money 
money and pay for a tax cut. It's really a fairly straightforward provision for states to implement. I mean, every state that has a balanced budget amendment, including Missouri and, and virtually all the others, is familiar with the problem that when they cut taxes, they have to decide if that's going to reduce their net tax revenue. Uh, and if it is, then in order to keep a balanced budget, they have to find the money to pay for that reduction. And there's, you know, again, three ways they can do it. Either they have money to spare because of economic growth, or they increase other taxes, uh, or they cut spending. And the only thing this provision does, and this is clear from the plain text, is that it says that when states engage in that balanced budget calculus, they have to do it with their own money. They can't use these federal funds to make the numbers add up to balance to balance the negative revenue effect of a tax cut on their books. That's a very modest effect, and it's exactly the sort of thing uh, that Congress routinely does, uh, you know, to put conditions on the use of, of funds that it appropriates. And, you know, again, the well, mean that... Go let ahead, me interrupt you to say, uh, as you notice, we're talking merits, 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 basically. Now, back to standing. A counsel, the Susan B. Anthony case and several others, uh, boy, if there's a credible threat, the Supreme Court's words, if there's a credible threat and a constitutional interest that may be prescribed and threatened enforcement. You know the language in the case. Why don't they surely have standing here? Goodness gracious. Uh, and, and, and compared to some tax measures, it's even more than Mr. Talent said as a percent of Missouri's real controllable budget. Uh, and so why, why don't they surely have standing? So, Your Honor, I think the Susan B. Anthony list calculus sort of depends on how you're what you're thinking of as the relevant injury, as the relevant course of conduct. So, if if their if their course of conduct that they say they want to engage in is to spend these federal funds on cutting their taxes, that is not, to quote the case, a course of conduct arguably affected with the constitutional interest. They don't have a constitutional right to spend federal funds in a way inconsistent with the conditions Congress set. Now, if what they say is the is if they what they say is their desired course of conduct uh, is to is to spend their own money on tax cuts just to be able to ta cut taxes at all. That is not, to quote the case, proscribed by the statute. The statute doesn't say they can't cut taxes. It says they but can't wouldn't, spend wouldn't, these. Counsel, wouldn't they have standing to get a court to decide whether uh, the understanding of the uh, statute uh, comports with their ability to manage their own finances? Uh, wouldn't wouldn't this question that they want uh, addressed about the meaning of of ARPA, uh, wouldn't they have standing to have that question addressed? No, Your Honor, because there's simply no concrete controversy here at all. They haven't pointed to anything that they're doing or that they concretely plan to do uh, that would that would that they think wouldn't violate the statute and that the Treasury Department thinks would violate the statute. And the meaning of conditions on the use of federal funds has always been resolved in the course of concrete controversies about their interpretation, either in this context or in any other. The federal courts don't have jurisdiction to issue advisory opinions about the meaning of a statute simply because uh, you know, a party has some question about how the statute might apply in the future. Missouri doesn't have any. Mr. Winnick is, is, is saying, though, that they want to um, engage in some tax policy adjustments. They want to reduce taxes. Is that is that an, enough, given the draconian result of misuse in this particular situation? Is it enough to say, look, we, we're a state. We want to deal with our taxes. And we got to know whether we're going to risk losing this 2.7. It's not enough, Your Honor, both because they haven't pleaded, you know, specifically 
not, not just that they plan to cut taxes, but that they plan to do so in a way that would use federal funds as opposed to their own funds. Um, you know, but but. So, counsel, so you're just, I've got to, I know I'm interrupting Judge Kelly's question, but you're ignoring the indirectly, counsel. You, you are completely ignoring the indirectly in the law Congress passed. Uh, so what do you do about indirectly? You keep saying directly. That's our course of action. That's direct. But what if they indirectly do it? No, to be clear, Your Honor, our understanding of the statute takes full account of the word indirectly. If the, if the statute just said directly, then it would be limited to what Missouri calls the narrow interpretation, right? It would apply only if a state explicitly says we're going to take this $2.7 billion that we got and we're going to use it to cut taxes. The, the relevance of the phrase directly or indirectly, which as you're not honor noted is significant, is to say that it's just as much a violation if a state takes the money, uses it to displace some of its existing spending, and then takes that savings of its own money and uses it to pay for a tax cut. So that's why the, the offset provision has the functional reading that we give it, which is, as I said earlier, it's, it's in effect saying to states, when you balance your budget, you have to do it with your own money. You can't use these federal funds to balance your budget. And you know, the state has argued that, that you know, this, it has to be sort of deliberate in order to make sense of the word use and offset. Well, that it, that's true in our interpretation. If a state, as I noted earlier, Missouri has a balanced budget requirement. It's familiar with the fact that when it cuts taxes, it has to identify how it's going to pay for the tax cut. And so if the state cuts taxes in a way that it thinks is going to reduce its revenue, and it doesn't have a plan for using state money to do that, then it has to be making a choice to do it using these federal funds. That's every bit as much a deliberate choice. Now, I agree with what, with what Your Honor said a moment ago, which is we've been talking about the merits, and it's the jurisdictional question that's directly before the court. And the reason the merits simply aren't presented here is that there just isn't a concrete controversy. Missouri hasn't identified any way in which it has been concretely harmed by this provision. It hasn't said what it concretely is doing or imminently plans to do that it supposedly can't do uh, because of this provision. It's certainly not the case that they can't cut taxes. Plenty of states have cut taxes since the enactment of this uh, provision. And, and again, even if Missouri had with greater specificity pleaded that they wanted to cut taxes or, or pay for the tax cut in a way that could arguably implicate the provision, that's just not the sort of context in which the, the meaning of conditions on the use of federal funds has ever been resolved. It would be purely an advisory opinion for a federal court to say in this context what the offset provision means outside any concrete controversy. And if Missouri, if a concrete controversy develops, I mean, if they are doing something or that they, or they imminently plan to do something, you know, that they think would violate the offset provision. First of all, they're not, they're hardly without information about what the provision means. I mean, the, the text of the statute we think is pretty clear. And even if not, you know, they have lots of information from the regulations about what Treasury thinks. And so they'll, they'll know if the Treasury Department is going to have a problem with what they're doing. They can also talk to Treasury. And so if they're contemplating in a concrete way doing something that Treasury is going to think violates the statute and, and that they don't, at that point, there is an Article Three controversy and they can seek a federal court resolution. But, but, but how concrete does that have to be in your view? So, so I think certainly it would be sufficiently concrete if they have, uh, if they have enacted a tax cut, whether or not they've yet implemented it, or if they are, you know, on the precipice of doing so. If they can say concretely, we imminently plan to do this, and Treasury is going to think it violates the provision. And to be clear, that's not just the tax cut; that's also the means of paying for it, right? The tax cut doesn't violate the provision. It's they have to be planning to do something that is going to use federal funds 
to pay for the tax cut. And at that point, if they think they're so doing counsel, something- counsel, there's a period of time after the legislature passes a law before it goes to the governor. So you say in that period of time, would that be concrete with you? If, it, if that period of time they've passed something that in Treasury's view is going to violate the offset provision right. and they don't think should be considered to violate the offset provision, yeah. yes, I think that's a concrete controversy. And before the governor considers it, right? Uh, yes, I think that would be a concrete controversy. Okay, great. And so then you've taken control of all tax policy of all the states, right? Your Honor, not remotely. I mean, the, the states- Not remotely? Complete... I can't think of anything more unremotely than, than uh, more less indirectly. I'll use the terms of your statute. I can't think of anything less indirectly than the governor has to go to the Treasury Department and get advisory opinion whether I can sign this bill. Your Honor, to be clear, the state has complete freedom to cut taxes. What it can't do is spend federal funds on it. it as, as Your Honor noted, Missouri well, has lots of money. How does the governor know the statistics that are relied on in your regulation don't become available till later? You know, you say these widely available statistics. They're not available till later. How does the governor know at that time? Your Honor, the state makes a free choice to take federal funds understanding that they cannot be used to pay for tax cuts. States have a lot of information from the Treasury Department's regulations and from the ability to have an ongoing dialogue with the Treasury Department about what is or is not going to violate that condition on the use of federal funds. It doesn't implicate their freedom to cut taxes. And they certainly can't seek a judicial determination about the meaning of the statute outside the context of any concrete dispute over the application of the statute. No court has ever, you know, as they're suggesting, held a provision, held a condition on the use of federal funds facially invalid and enjoined its enforcement for all time and in all contexts on the ground that the state has some questions about how the, the statute uh, might ultimately be applied. Indeed, and, and this goes to the merits, not jurisdiction, but indeed the Supreme Court and this court have made clear repeatedly that a, a condition on the use of federal funds doesn't have to specify in the statute itself every detail about uh, how it's going to be applied. And, and so it's commonplace that states are subject to the conditions on the, on the federal funds that they accept, that they may have some questions about how they're going to apply. That, that doesn't give them jurisdiction to have a federal court resolve you know, ahead of time outside the context of any concrete controversy, every question about how the condition is ultimately going to be applied. Mr. Winnick, what's the government's position as to uh, if, if we were to conclude there was standing, uh, whether we should address merits-related issues or uh, go further in our own analysis or send it back to the district court for further proceedings withstanding? Uh, the court should follow its ordinary practice and, and return to the case to the district court. It, it would certainly be improper to do what Missouri suggests and remand with uh, directions to to enter a preliminary injunction, uh, both because Missouri has no likelihood of success on the merits and because they certainly haven't shown irreparable harm. No court has entered a preliminary injunction in any of the six challenges uh, to the offset provision, including two courts uh, that denied preliminary injunctions, even though they ultimately ruled in the state's favor on the merits. So if the court thinks there is jurisdiction here, it should, it should remand for any further proceedings. Thanks, Mr. Winnick. Thank you. Mr. Talent, your rebuttal. All right. Thank you, Your Honor. And I'm just going to pick up, I think, on Judge Benton's point, and it's that sort of Damocles point. What is a harm? What is a concrete injury here? Well, my friend on the other side came up and he talked a lot about th examples about this 
what the statute would do, but not about what the statute actually means. Instead, he referenced what Treasury does, what Treasury's rules, Treasury's regulations. His position, a position uh, rejected by three district courts, is that the statute gives basically unlimited discretion to Treasury to determine what counts as a tax offset, as a tax mandate. And Treasury, he uses linkage terms, which is what Missouri uses. But Treasury has rejected Missouri's interpretation. In the final rule filed with this court, it explicitly did so on page 4424. Missouri provided the com a comment to Treasury with this statutory interpretation. Treasury rejected it. So we are in a situation where there's an active dispute about how Missouri is to perform under this contract. As to my friend's position that no court has ever addressed an issue, uh, a, a condition about a contract, well, he has to cabin that to the spending clause, uh, spending clause because MedImmune was a contract case. And in MedImmune, what the court said uh, was that the con uh, because the plaintiff there was paying royalty payments, was complying with the contract. The payment of royalty payments makes what otherwise would be an imminent threat at least remote. But that did not preclude subject matter jurisdiction because a threat eliminating behavior was effectively coerced. Judge Benton, to your point. Treasury having this unlimited discretion effectively makes the state of Missouri coerce, coerces the state of Missouri's tax policy. It builds on that and it uses, and to the further concrete point, it's a, it's a regulatory infrastructure that the state has to pay money to comply with. That is a concrete harm. Everything merges into the merits. Just real quick, again, I point the court to ACF Industries for how to read the statute. It's basically on point on how to do statutory interpretation in the tax content. I see I'm out of time, so if anyone, if there are any questions, I, I'm happy to answer them. If not, uh, I, I will sit down. All right. I see no questions. Thank you, Mr. Talent. Thank you also, Mr. Winnick. The court appreciates both counsel's argument that you provided to the court this morning and the briefing uh, uh, that's been submitted in the case. We will continue to review the record and render decision in due course.